go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. Is there anyone in here who does not have a yellow card? Okay, I see two. Where's George? George, we have, do we have some extra cards? Where's George? Okay, raise your hands again. You don't have one either? Hold me, let me check and see if we have extras. Raise your hands again if you do not have a yellow card. George, we'll make sure you get one. Does everybody have one now? Raise your hand if you don't. Amanda up here. Let's go ahead and pray. And I uh, would like you to join me in prayer. We're going to pray for uh, Buwashi, or juvenile Buwashi, his um, niece in... Burundi um, has a tumor in her intestine, a large tumor, and the, they need to send her to India to have an operation to remove that. And so their family's in the process of raising the funds to do that. And we as a church have helped them. Um, but we really mainly need God's help, you know, for this young lady. I think she's seven years old. Is that correct? Seven years old. So let's pray for her. Father, we do lift up this young lady, Megan, to you. And again, Father, we're so grateful to you for your provision, for your mercy, for your gentleness, your care. And we just lift this young lady up to you and we just thank you and ask for your healing power to flow right now into her body. We just speak to this tumor and we curse it and command it to die in Jesus name. We take authority over any ill effects that this is having on her body. And Father, most of all, we just pray for this this young lady's complete healing and recovery. In the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, and we pray for your pray for the family involved, her parents and siblings. Pray for grace, for peace, for your encouragement, for your blessing on their lives. And we thank you, Father, for your intervention, your strong and mighty intervention in this family in a wonderful way. And we pray that it would be in such a way that you would be glorified, that Jesus would be lifted up and people will be amazed. And they'll be able to tell the story of this wonderful miracle of how this young girl was healed. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. And Father, we come to you this morning and again, we yield ourselves to you. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for just the wonderful things you're doing in our in our midst. And Lord, we want our hearts to be open to you. I pray for conviction, O oh God. And I pray for, for the gift of repentance 
That, Lord, in whatever ways that our lives are not in line with you, that we would turn from our selfish, self-centered, wicked ways and turn to you, Father, and follow you. So we give you honor. We bless you today. And, Father, let your word speak to our hearts and convict us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll get to these cards in a little bit. But today I want to talk about six reasons why we need to reach people with the gospel. Six reasons. I could think of a whole bunch more, but today we're just going to go over six. Number one reason that you and I need to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one reason is because if we don't, then the linebacker will get us. And that's we need to keep that in mind. Number two. The reason why we need to reach people with the message of Jesus is because Jesus wants them. You know, the story, the good news, the gospel that we read in the New Testament. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It's an old story, but it's a good story. And Jesus is passionate about people. And, you know, in Luke 418, when he's starting his ministry, he's baptized, comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And then later on, he's in the synagogue, going to read the scriptures. And he reads Luke 418. It says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So he says he proclaims the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Then he says, why? The spirit of God has come upon me. And here's the reason why. Because. And then he begins to list off these things. And his whole mission was us, his people, to reach us. He said that he came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus was here. And if we look at his story, when we read the New Testament, the Gospels, and you look at what Jesus did, and you see what he was about, it was all about bringing people into relationship with God. Amen? Would you agree with that? And Luke 19, verse 9 says, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus is coming into town and Zacchaeus hears about him. So he climbs up in a, in a tree to get a, get a view of Jesus. And then Jesus comes right to him and says, today I'm going to come to your house. And, and Zacchaeus is all excited. You know, this man, Jesus, is coming to my house. And then, of course, the religious people are all upset and everything. Why would he come? Why would he go to his house? I mean, don't you realize who this guy is? This dude's bad news. I mean, he rips us off. He takes more taxes than he's supposed to and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus says today salvation will come to his home. And then we see this man repent. And he says, if I've ripped people off, I will pay them back four times. Or something to that effect. In other words, he's so excited about Jesus coming to visit him. He has a complete change in life. Those are the kind of people that Jesus is reaching out for. The ones that society would would deem undesirable, unreachable. Jesus goes straight to them. But when we look off in the New Testament, we look in the scriptures. It's not just the down and outers. It's not just the ones that society doesn't want to have anything to do with. Jesus reached out to all types of people. He reached out to the rich. 
You know, the rich young ruler, he reached out to him. Unfortunately, he didn't have it in his heart to repent. He reached out to the religious people. And he reached out to the, to the ones that people didn't believe he had any business in reaching out to. So the second reason why we need to reach people with the gospel is because Jesus wants them. He's passionate about people. And as I was sharing last week, when I was talking about that movie, The Passion of Christ. Has anybody seen that movie? The Passion of Christ. A very strong depiction of the last several hours of Jesus when he was you know, tried and, and crucified and everything. Very strong. And they even had to tone it down to what, really, what it really looked like. Because we couldn't, you know, we wouldn't be able to handle uh, what Jesus looked like after he was beaten and abused. But watching that movie, and, and as I was thinking about earlier this week, or last week, you know, the passion, the passion, the passion of Christ. And then I realized we are his passion. Jesus is passionate about people. And he went through that whole horrendous ordeal. That whole horrendous ordeal. And you remember it was so strong and so powerful, or it was so... Jesus was under so much stress facing the cross that he began to sweat drops of blood. And that is a, a, is a real medical condition. I'm not going to try to pronounce the word because every time I try, I get it all messed up. It starts with an H. <laughs> but it's a, a, when a person is under severe stress, it can happen. It's rare, but it can happen. And their uh, blood vessels begin to pop and break open and that kind of thing. And, and sweat and the blood mixed together and everything. So he was under tremendous pressure. And stress to the point that where there's only one place in the scriptures where we see Jesus battling with the will of God. Only one place. Jesus came to do the father's will. That's what he was all about. But one place we see that he's struggling. And he says, Father, if there's any other way. Let's talk about this. I know this is what I'm here for, but we got any other plans. He said, if there's any other way, he said, but not my will, your will be done. And the scriptures point out that he went three times, three times. He went to God with this, with this request. And three times he came away and says, not my will, but your will be done. And just like that movie depicted how bad it was, the beating and, and all the torture and all the stuff he went through. I don't believe that that's what he was struggling. I don't believe it was the physical. Now, not that that was a cakewalk or anything, but I don't believe that that physical beating is what he was stressing out about. Now, that would stress me out big time. But I believe what Jesus was facing that he was struggling with was the fact that from all eternity past, and we don't know how long that is. That's a long time for all eternity past before Jesus came here on earth. He was with the Father and the Holy Spirit. They were together forever in the past. And Jesus, for the first time in his existence, minds can't even wrap around that. He was about to be separated from his father for the very first time. And remember when he was on the cross and he cried out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember that? You know, every other time Jesus referred to God as father. But all of a sudden, at one time, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his back on him. He was separated from him because when Jesus, when he allowed the sin, our sin to be put on him, God cannot tolerate sin. 
God cannot stand sin. So Jesus was cut off from God. His relationship with God was cut off. And that's what I believe he was struggling with. But he willingly did it anyway. Because he knew that if he did not do that, if he did not allow himself to be separated from his father, then we could not be joined with the father. So because he was willing to do that, we are now able to be joined to him. And that right there is the passion of Jesus, is people being able to be joined in relationship with almighty God. Third reason why we need to reach people with the gospel is people need Jesus. People need Jesus. Now, God wants us to he wants people to come to him. But on the other side is we or those without Jesus actually need him. They need him. And the interesting thing is many of the people out there who need Jesus want him. They want a relationship with God. Turn to John chapter four. Very familiar story. The woman at the well. When the disciples are gone and Jesus goes to this well and he, and he meets with this Samaritan woman, he begins to talk to her, he says, hey, would you give me a drink? And he's dialoguing with her and she's kind of perplexed because Jews and Samaritans didn't really have any dealings, especially a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. That was a big no, no. And so she was shocked that he would talk to him, talk to her. And he was asking her for a drink. Well, anyway, they start this dialogue and everything. And then all of a sudden, because of word of knowledge, she realizes who he is. You know, whoa, because he says, you know, tells her about her past. So she begins to be amazed at that. And starting in. Um, and then so she goes, she leaves and goes into town to tell all the people. And so Jesus is standing there. And then it says um, his disciples See that he's talking to this woman. They're amazed and like, what is he doing? And then verse 34, Jesus said to his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they, they are already white for the harvest. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. And then verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. Now, these are people that weren't supposed to be taking the gospel message. Remember, Jesus came to the house of Abraham, to the children of Israel. But here's a whole village. Well, actually, Samaritans are half half Jews, so never mind. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. So Jesus started this encounter with one woman whom he wasn't supposed to be talking to anyway. Not only does she come to him, but then she's responsible for a whole village coming out and then they all get saved, too. And before that happens, Jesus talks about how the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. In other words, people are currently ready to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are ready right now. 
Could be people that you and I know or people that we will come in contact with. But the question is, they may be ready, but how are they going to know who or what to believe on if they don't hear the message? Unfortunately, we, we have this thought, I sure did for the longest time, that people who are not Christians are hostile towards the gospel. Now, there are those out there that are hostile to the gospel message. Um, but we, we can tend to think that everybody is. And so we're afraid to reach out and, and even dare or attempt to, to witness the people because we're just afraid of rejection, that everybody's going to reject us. And I found... That the majority of the people that I talk to don't necessarily get saved, but they're open. Matter of fact, I've been amazed at how open people are to the good news. When I first became a Christian and, and I went to, a, I was here in Stillwater going to school at OSU. And I ended up going home for the summer back in Lawton. And I was just on fire for the Lord and just, just got to tell people. Got to tell people about this, this dude that I met and it's changed my life. And I met a friend. The Lord um, allowed me to meet a friend, which was answering my prayer because I was tired of being alone. And so I wanted someone to run with. And so I met this buddy who was just as on fire for God as I was. And so we decided, let's go do something. And so we decided one night to uh, go out on First Street and witness. And First Street and Lawton at the time was the red light district. It was, uh, now if you're not familiar with Lawton, it's Lawton, Fort Sill. Fort Sill is a military base that's right connected to Lawton. First Street was where the drug supply was, or the prostitutes hung out. That's what First Street was. And so me and my friend got this crazy idea. Let's go on First Street and witness. Like, yeah, let's, let's do something. And so we decided to do that. But then when the reality sunk in as what we were about to do, we started freaking out and getting scared. It's like, what are we thinking we're going to do? And I remember um, we decided we met at this church before we went out and we just started crying to God. Oh, God, because it's like we committed ourselves. We're going to do this. And so it's like, OK, we're locked in. Then we were scared and we wanted to get out of it. But we don't want to break our commitment to the Lord. And so we're crying out to God. Oh, God, help me. Help me. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. And we're just crying out to him, praying and just crying and praying. And then we just said, okay, it's time. we got to go. So he and I went, and uh, we didn't want to park our car on First Street because we might not ever see it again. So we parked several blocks away and decided to walk onto First Street. And I remember we parked at this hotel, uh, Ramada Inn, and we get out of the car, and we're walking, and there's this guy sitting there uh, smoking a cigarette. He just got off work, and we sit down and start talking to him, and we led led the guy to the Lord. And we weren't even looking for him because he wasn't on First Street. We were on our way to First Street. So that was pretty interesting. So he, we lead him to the Lord. You know, he prays with us. We share the gospel. He prays with us. And then we, we are walking to First Street. And I remember, anybody seen Star Trek? You don't have to raise your hands. I don't want to indict you. But for those of you who have heard of it, maybe, when, when, they, get it, when they get beamed up, there's like this light that comes over the person. They disappear, right? You know, okay, just pretend you know what I'm talking about. Well, that light that came down, as soon as we stepped on First Street, it was just like that beam of light came down on us. And I could feel a tangible grace. At the time, I didn't, I didn't recognize I didn't know anything back at the time. But now looking back, I, it was a tangible grace that came upon us. As soon as we stepped on, I felt boldness. The fear was gone. 
which is a good thing. I was happy that the fear was gone. And so it's like, so we're walking. I remember the very first, just like the enemy, to try to intimidate. The first person we came upon, his name was, I just went, it just went out of my head. <laughs> um, I can't remember his name, it just went out of my head. Anyway, tall guy, known drug dealer in town. We encounter him, and I'm like, uh-oh, the fear's trying to come back. Now, the, um, um, Jonathan, the guy who was with me, he, didn't, he, wasn't, from, he wasn't around Stillwater, or from Lawton. Every time I say Stillwater, I mean Lawton. Okay, I'm getting those confused. Lawton, Oklahoma. He wasn't from there. I was. So I knew who this guy was. He didn't. I'm like, oh, no. And so we're walking towards him, and I kind of walk and step behind uh, Jonathan. Jonathan. And those of you who are used to the old Incredible Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, remember how big he was? That's what Jonathan looked like. Just like, look, just like Lou Ferrigno. So I felt a little secure hiding behind him as we're walking. Anyway, he walks up. We're approaching this guy. And he hands him a track and says, Jesus, well, he reaches out to hand him a track and says, Jesus loves you. And the guy looks at him. And he takes a cigarette out of his mouth and he puts it out on, on Jonathan's shoulder. So I really stepped back behind him. I'm like, it's about to happen now. Because I'm thinking, okay, this guy that I'm with, you know, he's a Christian and all, but I think he might set his Christianity aside for a few seconds to minister with hands laid upon. And, you know, that's what I was thinking about to happen. Thought, oh, it's about to go down now. And um, he looked at his shoulder and looked at the guy and he says, Jesus loves you anyway. And then the guy just lit out a bunch of cuss words, blank and blank, blank and blank. And, and then he went on. And I looked at Jonathan he looked, I said, does that hurt? Because I thought supernatural strength, you know, God protects him. Then I thought he was going to say, no, I didn't even feel it. I said, did that hurt? He said, yeah, it hurt. <laughs> you know, so, anyway, but so in spite of all that, in spite of the pain, we kept going. So we're walking along the streets and, and having fun. Remember, the fear's gone. And after that happened, you know, the fear that tried to grab us left. So we're walking and we're passing our tracks, talking to people. And, and now what we did, I would not recommend. <laughs> It wasn't the wisest thing, but I believe God, he knew our zeal, our intentions, and our passion for him. And he, he had many angels surrounding us. God said, watch my kids. They're, they're being crazy right now. But anyway, so I knew we were protected. We were walking in bars, you know, laying tracks on the tables. It was so hot, everybody was outside. So the bars were empty. And so we're passing out tracks. And I remember walking up to this, this guy, and he's doing something with this other guy. And I walk in and I said, excuse me, sir. And he turns to me and I said, um, just want to let you know that Jesus loves you. I want to hand him a track. And he looks at my track. And one thing we did is we had Bibles with us about this size on purpose. I didn't have a little pocket Bible. I wanted people to see what I was carrying. Because I wanted them to know I wasn't a police or I wasn't, you know, I wanted them to know, hey, I'm a man of God. Respect me. Don't kill me kind of thing. So we intentionally had good sized Bibles. So he looked at my track. He looked at my Bible and he looked at me and said, uh, can't you see I'm busy? And I looked, I was like, oh, it was the middle of a drug transaction. He was trying to sell drugs. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'll be back in a minute. I'm thinking, oops, I have to get myself hurt. So anyway, we're, we're doing this walking around. And, and later on that evening, that guy and a friend that I uh, hadn't seen since elementary, uh, name is Eddie. I met them, but I had those guys with me in a circle and we're praying. And I said, can I pray for you guys? They didn't give their lives to Jesus and I, but they let me pray for them. Of course, I prayed the blessing and the love of God all over them, this drug dealer and this other guy. And then I, we cross the street. We separate because we realize we can cover more ground if we separate. 
I wouldn't recommend that. But we separate. And I'm walking towards these people there, you know, drinking beer, sitting on the car, talking, carrying on, that kind of thing. And as I approach them, this one guy, they see who I am. They see what I have, a Bible. And so this one guy gets in front of me and starts cussing me out. We don't want to hear that blankety blanket, all that kind of stuff. And it kind of kind of stopped my tracks. I don't know what to do. And but the people behind them, they kind of backed him off and said, leave him alone. We want to hear what he has to say. And so he kind of backed off. And here I am. I have my Bible and I open up to Luke chapter 15. The prodigal son. And I said, hey, can I share something cool with you guys? They're like, yeah, let's hear it. And I began to share the story of the prodigal son, how, you know, the son left, went crazy living, lost all his money, and then how the father welcomed him back. And I said, you know, just like this guy in here, I said, God loves you so much. And I don't remember everything I said, but he wants to have a relationship with you and all that kind of stuff. And they started talking and and started crying. Girls were crying and everything. So, you know, when I was a kid, I used to go to church. I haven't been to church in a long time. I need to go back to church. Well, by the time I was done, had him in a circle praying with me. Some of them recommitting their lives to Jesus. I don't know if anybody got saved that night, but there was recommitments. And it was a very interesting, exhilarating, scary, fun experience. But here's my point in this story. I was right there in the middle of bad, what we consider bad. People we'd consider don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And yet they were wide open and hungry, even in the midst of their sin, the midst of their fun and all that kind of stuff. They were listening. They gave me permission to share the message with them. And even since then. Going out, you know, many of us have done treasure hunting, uh, done all kinds of different evangelistic type stuff. And my experience has been the majority of the people, I'd say maybe 85 percent are open are open and eager to hear. Now, I won't say 85. I want to say close to that percentage. You know, I pray, pray with and they get saved. But people are open. They are open to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus said the harvest is ripe, it is white for the picking right now. You remember later on, Jesus taught, he, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he thrust out laborers. Remember that? He told them to pray that, and then he, then he lines up and he sends them out. God's heart is for laborers, for people who will say, you know what, God, I don't know how to do this thing effectively or right, but I'm willing to, to reach out however I can. People need Jesus. You know, not only is God passionate about people, but people need, need him. I remember a lot of times I do things, I'm very experimental. I'm a very practical person, and I think, okay, if God says to do it, if it worked in the Bible, then it ought to work now because His Word doesn't change. And so I'll do things uh, to see how it works and everything. And and I've, you know, approached people in Walmart or Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever and got to pray for people and see them get healed right there on the spot. But sometimes I think that Maybe some kind of demographics would, would hinder the gospel. And I remember one time we were in South Dakota. No, North Dakota. My not North Dakota. And to be frank with you, there aren't many black people that live up in North Dakota because it's too cold. <laughs> Plain and simple, it's to, isn't it right? 
It's too cold. It's just down. So there are not a lot of black people that live up there. We're from warmer climates. As a matter of fact, I think the only people who live in Minot that are, that are black are in the military. They have to be there. Uncle Sam sends them there. But anyway, so I'm thinking, okay, here I am in a, in a, uh, a place where there aren't that many black people. So I wonder how people will respond to me. And so I remember being in the mall and I was just witnessing, offering to pray for people. No difference. No difference whatsoever. Matter of fact, I was, I was assuming there would be. People look at me and kind of be taken aback and say, oh, no, thank you or whatever. There was zero difference. People were open, just as open. Let me pray for them, talking to me, that kind of thing. So the point is, is there are no excuses. They're ready. They're hungry. They need Jesus. Number four, the fourth reason, this is true kingdom business. Matthew 6, you've heard me talk about this before. Jesus said, you know, he's talking to his disciples about their needs and, you know, shelter and food and clothing, that kind of thing. And he says, don't worry about that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put God's interests first and all these things will be taken care of. The needs that you have will be taken care of. Just put God's business first. Reaching out to people with the gospel is kingdom business. So if you want to know how do, what's kingdom business about, how do I do that? Sharing the gospel with people, reaching out to people, reaching out to people with the good news is kingdom business. Number five, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse seven. I'm going to just read it real quick. Verse seven, and it says, as you go, now this is Jesus talking to his disciples about the launch amount. He says, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand, and then demonstrate it. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely. You have received, freely give. You have received this freely. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. What I've given you, it was free. It didn't cost you anything. Now I want you to go out and give it away for free. See, we've been given hope. We have hope. We have a future. It's been given to us. If we're born again, if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we have a hope. We have a future. We have purpose. We have all these wonderful things. But it's not just to keep to ourselves, but it's to go out and give to others who don't have that, that yet. What if there was a, a man, a doctor or a scientist who discovered a medical, a medical cure for cancer? And all the tests they did, 100%. Effective cure for cancer, but he didn't decide to keep it to himself. Do you think if he had if he discovered that as a doctor, he would have an uh, obligation, a moral obligation to share that with people? I mean, do you think that? Well, because we have the cure for hopelessness, we have the cure for helplessness. You know all those things. And Jesus said, since you freely receive, freely give, we have a kingdom obligation to share what's been given to us. I'm going to share this last one, number six. 
Reading on Matthew 5:22, but I say to you, this is Jesus preaching Sermon on the Mount, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, or empty-headed fool, will be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Matthew 5, 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And everyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Reason number six why we need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people is because hell is real. Hell is a real place. And many people will experience that reality. And scripturally speaking, Jesus said in Matthew 7 that the gate, the path is narrow and small that leads to life and few are those who find it. And the path is broad to destruction. And many are those that find it. There are a lot of people who are going to go to hell because they did not give their life to Jesus. Hell is a reality. I want to go ahead and show this video clip and we'll talk about it. Today in our series, we are going to be diving into the abyss, understanding more about the realities of hell, the burning fires of hell, the everlasting torment. But today I want you to put your seatbelt on because, you know, this is not going to be a feel good message. And we do preach messages of hope, life, restoration. But today, today is a day that we need to set back and we need to realize the realities of hell. Before we do that, though, I want to talk to you about an alleged story that took place in Siberia some 40 years ago. Where scientists, Russian scientists, were drilling into the core of the earth down some 14 kilometers they were drilling and they came to a point where the drill shaft began to spin very rapid and violently. So they took it out because they hit some kind of cavern or pocket. So in their curiosity, they discovered the temperature was some 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Very hot. So they took a microphone designed to listen to the tectonic plates shifting and moving. And they dropped that microphone down some 14 
kilometers into this cavern. And what they heard was so shocking that it caused them to flee. It caused them to shut down. And in this alleged story, after 19 seconds, the heat melted the microphone. So for a moment, I want to play this recording for you, 19 seconds. And I want you to shut your eyes and hear apparently what they heard. came across this a while ago. And I want to say that if you go on the Internet and you you look at this on YouTube, that there's controversy surrounding this. Some say it's real that it, you know, this particular story with the Siberian drillers and that kind of thing. Some say it's a fake, phony, that kind of thing. But my point in sharing this is not not to validate or say this is a real situation that happened. But my point in sharing this is to kind of give us an illustration of hell. Because whether this story is true or not, hell is a reality. And it is a reality for many people, and it will be a reality for many more people. And we have the privilege and the opportunity to do something about it for those that come into our lives. But the problem is, is we would all, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many believe that there's a real hell? We'd probably all raise our hands because we believe what the Bible says. But the reality of a real hell doesn't move us. Because what happens is in our society and in life and everything, we get so numb to things because we get so focused on our reality. My job, my bills, my children, my this, my that. Not that those things are not important. That's not the issue. But it's that we get so clouded in our thinking that we forget what the true reality is. The true reality is eternity. The reality we're experiencing right now is very temporal. A hundred years from now, none of us will be experiencing this reality anymore. But a hundred years from now, a person in hell will continue to experience that reality forever and ever and ever. And the problem is, is we need to recognize, God, my heart has gotten so hard, I don't really even care about people anymore. It does not move me that if someone's going to die and go to hell, and it may be someone I know. And what we need to do is not allow our emotions to try to move us into a place of caring for people. The point is for us to realize, I'm in a certain place And Lord, I need you to get me in this place over here. My heart is hard and crusty 
and dry and uncaring. And God, I need you to help me. I need you to break my heart. I need a heart of compassion like Jesus has a heart of compassion. Years ago when I was at OSU. And something I'd read or what the Lord was dealing with me, I was beginning to realize that reality. I was becoming aware of the reality of hell and people's hopelessness. But I knew that my heart wasn't moved. And so I begin to cry out every day, God, break my heart for the things that break your heart. Break my heart, Father. Give me the compassion that Jesus had. And see, in reality, we have the compassion of Christ in us by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that fills him is inside of us. So we have the ability and the capability to love people like God loves people. And I remember I began to cry out to God, God, break my heart. God, help me. God, help me. I don't care about people, but I want to care about people. Let's begin to cry out. I don't know how long that went on. But I remember when God answered that prayer. And I was saying things out, God, I want a piece of your heart. Because I know that God's heart is so big, his love is so big, we can't, we can't do that. It'll poof, it'll snuff us out. And I remember saying, God, I just want a little piece of your heart. Your little piece of your compassion to fill my heart for people. And I remember one day now, I lived in Bennett dorm. It's not like it was, like it is now. But I lived in that dorm. It's where all the athletes lived and, and people lived. And I lived there a couple of years. So anyway, and I was sitting there eating lunch in the cafeteria. And I was eating and the Holy Spirit said, look up and look around. So I began to look up and look, began to look around. And I recognize all the people. I live with these people. There were people there that I liked, my friends. There were people there I couldn't stand, people who got on my nerves, people that I could care less about. You know, just, I was just looking around and I saw those people. But all of a sudden, something shifted, something changed. And I began to see them differently. And I look at this one person, you know, this knucklehead that I could care less about. And all of a sudden, my heart began to break for this guy. I began to see him differently. I began to look at this person over here, same thing. I began to look at this person over here, same thing. And begin to look at all these people in a totally different light. And all of a sudden, something inside, like a volcano, was about to erupt. And like if you're about to vomit or something, you feel that, boom, that urgency. It's like, i got to get out of here. I felt that urgency. I ran, took my tray to the place, took care of the dishes, ran out of the cafeteria, ran upstairs to my room, unlocked my door, barely got the door open. And just an explosion of emotion came out. And I was on the floor sobbing and sobbing and sobbing for these people. And it was so violent and so hard. It was uncontrollable crying. And as I was crying and I was thinking of these people, it's like compassion and, oh, God, help them. Oh, God, have mercy. And, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I just couldn't stop crying. And it was about to overwhelm me. And I said, God, I can't take this right now. I can't take any more of this. I said, please stop. And it subsided. Unfortunately, since that time, my heart has gotten cold, calloused. I could care less. That kind of thing, because of the cares of life, the desire for other things, 
the deceitfulness of riches, all that stuff that the world throws at us. I've fallen victim to that. I'm not immune to that. But I've over time come to a place, and I'm at that place now, where I say, God, I need you to break my heart. God, I want my heart to ache and break for the things that break your heart. And we know that's people. It's people. I feel like the Lord is inviting us. You know this thing about Easter? I, I believe it's, it's bigger than, than what I'm even thinking. God cares about the people that don't know him. People that he's wanting to reach them. But God cares about his body, his church. He cares about us. And he's not wanting to put us aside so that he can reach the unsaved. He's wanting to build us up, minister to us, bless and strengthen, encourage and, and make us strong. So that through us, he can reach a lost and dying world. His heart is for us. His heart is for us. And if you need proof, just see Jesus hanging on that cross. But I believe we have an invitation by God to join him in a wonderful thing. And that's reaching people. But for that to happen, you know, we've been talking about his kingdom being established, his kingdom being manifest here on earth. God wants us to partner with him to see his kingdom manifest in a wonderful way. But for that to happen, one major thing needs to happen, and that's called repentance. Repentance with a capital R. We have to lay aside our earthly, worldly agendas and say, God, I'm willing to take on your agenda. And every once in a while, we have to stop because we get so busy. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. You know what I'm talking about. We're all busy. Busy, 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 busy. And a lot of the things we're good are good things. But we can even be good about, be busy about good things that we miss the God things. God says, you know, that's a good thing right now, but here's what I want you to be doing. And we can miss this because we're busy doing this. I'm not even talking about the sin and all the junk that we know we shouldn't be doing. I shouldn't have to mention that. Let the Holy Spirit deal with that. But we need to put ourselves in position. Say, God, I recognize the purpose of that video wasn't to manipulate you emotionally. But for you to realize, okay, where am I at? Do I not care? God, I don't really care. But I want to care. So the, this card right here, this Resurrection Sunday prayer campaign, I choose to do all I can so that they may experience Jesus. The purpose of this card is to invite you to be part of something that will help us move in a direction of allowing God to deal with us. That's all it is. It talks about three nights of prayer tonight, Monday and Tuesday. It talks about pre-service prayer, which is Sunday morning at 9 o'clock before church. We meet in the youth sanctuary and we pray. Fasting Wednesdays in April, uh, April 6th, 13th, 20th, and 27th. Fasting two meals, breakfast and lunch, and then eating dinner. And then targeting and inviting three people to church, which we'll talk about that more at another time. But basically, 
committing to this, signing and dating, saying, God, I'm committing to putting myself in your way so that you can deal with me. And here's a practical way to express that. What I'm asking you to do is you check off the ones. You don't have to do all of them. Actually, you don't have to do any of them. But you check off the ones that you want to commit to. You sign and date it, and then you're going to keep this. And then you put it in your Hang it on your bathroom mirror, on your refrigerator, whatever, to remind you of the commitment that you made. That, God, I'm intentionally putting myself in your way so that you can deal with me. So we can pray and let God deal with us, convict us, change us, challenge us, do what he wants to do. So that when we invite people to come here, they experience Jesus through his people. And him directly. But a big way that people experience God is through God's people. Let's stand. (laughs) My desire is that as a body, as one unit... We together move towards him and seeing his kingdom established. We're looking at Easter Sunday as a time for this to converge. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that. You can come out tonight or Monday night or Tuesday night. Come and join us for prayer so we can ask God to break our hearts. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we we hear your word and we ask you for conviction, for grace, so that we will change. Father, I thank you for what you are doing in us and through us.